Welcome in to the At The Yard Podcast. Today's guest is University of San Diego assistant coach Brock Ungrich. Coach will take us through his playing days, into his transition into coaching, and what recruiting to USD is like. All that and much more on episode 40 of the At The Yard Podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. Really excited about today's guest. Uh, joining me today is USD assistant coach Brock Ungrich. Brock, really appreciate you making some time to join me on the podcast today. Uh, you know, unique circumstances surrounding not only baseball, but the entire world right now. You know, how are you and the family doing? How are you holding up? How are things going for you? Oh, doing great, Les. Thanks so much for having me on, man. It's an honor uh, to be able to to be on this show and talk some baseball and life and recruiting and hey the family's doing great you know got the two little ones running around uh outside in the backyard and trying to keep them safe you know they're keeping uh keeping dad busy for sure <laughs> yeah as a father of two i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> absolutely uh, Hey, so Brock, so let, let, let's jump in, man. You know, uh, you know, obviously you're a native San Diegan like myself. You, you know, you had the opportunity to play uh, at uh, Mission Bay High School uh, under if, you know, if you're from San Diego and know anything about high school baseball in San Diego, uh, the head coach there, uh, Dennis Pugh at Mission Bay High School is one of those legendary guys. Uh, you know, what, what, what was that experience like for you and how, how do you think playing for him uh, really kind of set you up in your career. Yeah, no question, Les. Yeah, uh, Coach Pugh is a definite legend in uh, San Diego and probably through the state of California or, or even nationally recognized too. Um, you know, and playing for him, I mean, he, he was tough. You know, he uh, – tough love, um, expected a lot out of us. Um, we had some good, good teams there in the early 2000s. And when I was there, I think we were first and second nationally ranked. And um, – you know, and, and it had a handful of draft picks. And he was really good at handling, like, higher-level players. He was good at um, motivating them, pushing them, um, not pushing them too far uh, to keep us together. He created a culture, a winning culture. And I think, you know, with that that kind of that winning pedigree starting there in high school at Mission Bay, you know, kind of, you know, became part of you, um, you know, as a player and then now into a coach. I mean, a lot of the – the things that, that he used, uh, the tactics he used in high school, um, I would say I still use today, you know, and it's, and it's a lot of it's just about believing that you're good and believing that you're a winner. Yeah, you, know, you, you mentioned there, you know, that he was tough and that, that tough love and, and, you know, kind of grinding on guys a little bit. And, and do you see, you know, that being a, a style that would play today, right? I mean, in, in kind of today's day and age where, you know, I mean, we're, we're seeing kids, you know, some organizations are, are ranking kids as young as 12. And, you know, these kids grow up and with this false sense of reality, uh, you know, hey, I'm the best 12 year old in the country. I mean, do you think that style would work today? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Just to be frank with you, I mean, um, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's crazy. We're rank, ranking kids at, at 12 and 14 years old and and, uh, you know, they kind of look at you like you're, you're going to yell at me type thing or, um, you know, pull me out of practice or do something like that. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, those kids still need a little bit of that. It's a fine line, you know, and they need a little bit of that that toughness um, built into them, too, if they want to be as good as they really want to be, you know. And and uh, I think Coach B did a, he did a good job of that, kind of balancing that out, um, especially later in his career. That's kind of when we had him. Um, but you know, still, I, I don't think you can, you can do that, that today with, uh, with this type of kid, you're going to lose them, so to speak. So you, you get, you gotta be like coach Hill says, you gotta be an artist of balancing out both because these kids, like anyone, they need love, you know, they need you to put your arm around them and tell them how much you care about them. And, um, and then they'll, they'll run through a wall for you today, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's that that old adage, right? I mean, they they, they don't they, they don't care until they know how much you care, or some you know somewhere along those lines. But you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, it it really rings true. So I, I mean, after high school, you go from playing under one legendary coach to another legend in the game of baseball, going to San Diego State there and playing for Tony Gwynn, and you know, just kind of 
walk us through what that experience was like. I mean, again, you're a native San Diegan, so you grew up watching him on the ball fields and, you know, probably like most, you know, kids in growing up in San Diego at that time, probably, you know, had some sort of, um, you know, idolized him a little bit. I mean, I know certainly I did. Uh, you know, what was that like going from Coach Pugh to Coach Gwynn and, and just kind of being in that atmosphere with, you know, one of the greatest hitters ever? Oh, it, it was awesome. You know, I, I was fortunate when I was in, I think, eighth grade, um, you know, Coach Pugh, I was at the middle school and he invited me to come on over and Tony, Tony was still playing and he, yeah, he put like this photo shoot. He was doing the book, The Art of Hitting, or I believe that's the, the title of it. And he invited the Mission Bay team to come on over and, and I was in eighth grade and so I was idolized and I got to spend like three hours with Tony. It was just like, you know, the 15 guys on the team, Coach Pugh and and Tony doing this photo shoot and talking about hitting. And, you know, here I was at 13, 14, and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, idolizing this guy my whole life. And and um, he even threw a jab in. And then he's like, ah, my coach one day, you know, and stuck in the back of my head. And then being a senior in high school, you know, that's when recruiting actually really took place, right, Les? I mean, yeah. you're a senior and not a freshman. And and uh, when he uh, he was over at San Diego State, where I was his first recruiting class, you know, I think like Adam Jones was in that class too as well. And, and um, you know, it was just like, heck yeah, I want to go play and learn from the best hitter ever, arguably. And, um, you know, sitting down and, and being able to talk hitting with them and spend so much time with them when I got there as a player, um, you know, on the video side and, and uh, you know, really – realizing how much he cared about coaching and how much he cared about college baseball and how much he cared about a team and how much he cared about individuals that he wanted to make them as good as you know they wanted to be and you talk about tough love now you're moving from coach pew to coach gwen and there's some tough love there i mean boy i mean we i used to i remember taking rounds of bp and line drive after line drive and he would be so tough on me and nope you know better that you're better than that, you know, and whatever in the comments. So you had to be tough mentally to channel that out and, and know that he was coming from a good place. But, um, boy, what a, what a treat I got to have, uh, you know, being able to play for that guy and, and our relationship was really, really close. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously a lot of those things stuck. I mean, you, you went on to have a, just an awesome freshman campaign, freshman, all American, uh, you know, a little bit of a little bit of a downer uh, sophomore year, but you still had the opportunity to go uh, and play at the Cape Cod League. What what was that experience like? Because, I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's still viewed as the pinnacle of the summer collegiate leagues. Uh, you know, at least you know by most accounts. And, and what was that experience like for you? Uh, you know, and and who do, you know who were some of the guys maybe you played with there? And uh, you know, just take us through that experience. Yeah, that was what a great experience that was, Les. I mean, it got the uh, that was the best summer of my life. Two thousand five, we uh, um, we won the nat or the national. We won the Cape Cod title um, that year, and uh, we had uh, we had a kid from Kent State, uh, Manuel Burris, played uh, played in the big leagues for a handful of years, but he set the stolen base record, unreal, um, that year in the Cape. Uh, Evan Longoria was uh, was in the league that year. I think he won the MVP and. Um, you know, there's a lot of great players, uh, major leaguers that, that, you know, that you're playing against at that time. And you're, you're, you're in front of 5,000, 6,000 fans, especially for the championship game. Um, you know, and, and the families love you. And I, I got, actually got to go back last summer. A couple of our players were back there. So I went back and visited them. First time I've been back since, um, 2005, since we won it. And my host family, I mean, it's like such a small community and they just love their players. I mean, they, we're so happy to see me and the GM of the team. And, um, you know, it just, it makes you feel right at home. And, uh, that'll, that'll be something you'll never forget. I mean, the experience was unreal. Yeah. You know, for people that aren't aware maybe of how that works, right. I mean, it's players from all over the country, right. It's not just, you know, the top division one programs. You mentioned the player there from Kent state, right. And I mean, there's even some, our junior college players invited to that and, you know, draft like draft guys that are potential draft guys, you know, yeah. just, it's, it's really a, a kind of a, a smorgasbord of players, right? I mean, because you can get guys from, you know, Division two schools to guys from the SEC on teams, right? Yeah, that was a, a great point because um, back then, you know, you were able to transfer 
um, right away and play too. So you'd see college coaches out there sniffing around (laughs) (laughs) to see if they're leaving. And uh, we actually had a kid uh, uh, who's at an NAIA school and um, uh, Justin Masterson, and he ended up transferring to San Diego State uh, and played with us my junior year that following year. And became a, a big time pitcher in the major leagues, uh, you know, heavy sinker, slider guy, um, and made some money. So yeah, I mean, from all like you said, Smorgasbord, you know, NAI Division Three, Division Two. If you're any good and um, you know you're worthy of it, they're going to take you out there and you're going to stick. You know, and it's uh, what what a great experience to you know play with guys from all around the country and all levels and um, have those memories of, again playing pro ball and and you know whatnot that was the best summer of my life hands down playing in the cape yeah so then you come back for your junior year you, you had a, a pretty good year there your junior year right and, and you end up getting taken to the 30th round by the yankees what what's that experience like right i mean everybody wants to play big league baseball right but the the experience of going through the draft process and then you know ultimately being selected what was that like for you it was awesome. It was always a dream, right? You know, and, and to, to, you know, play professional baseball and, and, um, you know, even the kids that you coach today, they have it in their mind. They always, that's what they want to do, you know, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision, the timing of it, the money aspect, um, you know, finishing school, which is a big deal, having to come back and do that. I think less, I think it's like six or 7% of, high school or college juniors that uh, sign go back and finish their degree. Wow. So um, I, I was lucky to be part of that, that uh, six or 7%. My dad being a teacher, my mom, she would, you know, never let me hear the end if I never finished school, but <laughs> that's a, that's a big part of it, right. Is to get that degree. So, you know, um, you, you, you play pro ball and you become, you, you get the instructional league in the fall. It makes it tougher to, to, to get that degree. But um, what a great, great experience that was to go through that, especially being part of the Yankee organization. Um, you know, got to be around Jorge Posada then as a catcher. Got to learn from him, Derek Cheater. Uh, they would really spend a lot of time um, with the minor leaguers. And, uh, you know, play with guys like Francisco Cervelli, um, played with Cano, Robinson Cano, um, you know, just to name a few. And and uh, to put on the pinstripes was, was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine. I mean, that's I mean, love them or hate them. Right. It's still, you know, it's still the Yankees. Absolutely. Right. And that's the thing. They, they actually they kind of preach that when you get in there, they uh, uh, they show you, you know, all these movies and these documentaries on being a Yankee and they really try to, you know, kind of get that in your blood that you're a Yankee, you know, and, and, uh, I don't, I don't know if too many organizations do that. I, I know the Cardinals did that too, as well. The history in both of those organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So in 2007, you, you played in the uh, golden baseball league for the Chico outlaws winning another championship, uh, you know, independent baseball, right? I mean, that's essentially what that is. And and what was that experience like? I mean, you know, there was you, you mentioned to me earlier on a text of you know you played with uh, with a couple of guys there that went on to to be pretty successful at the big league level. And uh, you know, what what was that experience like for you playing in Chico? I've been there during that league. I worked in that league for a couple of years with the Armada in Long Beach. And, and you know, we made a road trip up to Chico, and that place was just always packed for games. Yeah, and you you want to talk about after getting released, you know, you get you get released out of pro ball or affiliated ball, and you go, okay, what do I do next? And you start talking to the people that you, you look for advice from, and and John Boggs was big big for me on, on that, and uh, you know helped me get to Chico, and and uh, what a summer that was too, unreal. I mean, you like you said, you play less, you play in front of a, a, a huge crowd every night, um, college town. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, just, we ended up winning the championship and we had Daniel Nava on the team who ended up, uh, was, was an MVP that summer and went on and had a great career in the big leagues, um, which is very, very rare for someone to, and he was never drafted, uh, to go and play an independent ball, get picked up as a free agent and make his way all the way through the minor leagues and, uh, get to the big leagues and, and stick in the big leagues is unreal. So, that was a, a, a unreal story. You know, he, um, I don't think anybody knew what he could do. Even, uh, our coaching staff, uh, at the time didn't even know what he could do and, uh, just put up uh, huge numbers, 
unreal at the plate, both sides of the plate, switch hitter. And, uh, and again, but it goes back to the culture uh, of that team. We had some veterans that, that um, you know, had a cup of coffee in the big leagues and played AAA ball, and they really cultivated that group um, to stick together. And we had, you know, uh, Mark Parent was our manager, and he was unreal too as far as getting – getting guys on the same page and letting the guys police each other. And so you take a lot of, you know, notes and lessons from, from those guys you're around and put it to, you know, everyday use too, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you talked about, you know, coach Pugh there a little bit, coach Gwynn, obviously a big leaguer, Mark Parent, a big leaguer, a former big leaguer. And, and you mentioned there, you take these notes, whether either written or mental notes, and, and you apply them to your daily life. And, and in 2009, you, you get your, your shot, right? I mean, you're shot at, at being a head coach at, at Kearney High. And you guys had a lot of experience or a lot of success there. I mean, you won the first league title in 28 seasons at the school and, you know, what was, what was that like for you to transition from player, which you've done your entire life to, okay, now in 2009, Hey, all of a sudden I'm the head coach at Kearney high school. Yeah. Thrown in the fire real quick. I'll tell you, <laughs> it was, it was uh, something you knew. I, I always knew I wanted to do was to coach. My dad was a, a long time uh, track coach at, at Mission Bay actually. And he's in the, um, Hall of Champions here in San Diego. And so I always had that coach in, in, in my blood um, to want to do that. And um, so I was like, okay, big boy, here's your, here's your opportunity at 23 or 24 years old. And, and I also taught a math class too. So I was thrown right in the fire to, to be in the classroom um, and also, uh, you know, run a baseball program. And we were fortunate. We had some great kids that were just hungry, looking for some direction, some discipline, some structure, um, and then uh, we're, we were able to give that to them um, that year. I think they won two or three games a year before. We ended up winning like 18 games that year, and, um, and winning another, you know, winning that league title was so cool for those kids, the seniors that never experienced winning, and um, you know, going on before, like I was saying with Coach Pugh, really trying to put that in their brain that they can win. You know, if they buy into the process, they can do it, and. Um, what a what a fun team that was just to see a bunch of uh, individuals that uh, just bought into what we were trying to do, you know, and it, it was a, a great year. Yeah, and then the, the next year you get a chance to kind of go home, if you will, and, and go, you know, be the volunteer coach at SDSU. And, uh, and then, you know, the year after that, you – you head up to the farm, right, to, to Stanford. So, we, you know, we've talked about the coaches in your past. And, I mean, one of the most legendary coaches in, in all of baseball, certainly in college baseball there at Stanford and Coach Marquis. And, I mean, you spent six years there, uh, you know, learning from him and coaching with him. And, I mean, gosh, what an experience that must have been for you. Yeah, thanks, Les. It, it was, you know, awesome not to take away from that first year of college at, at San Diego State, too, with working with Tony. And that was kind of – it was, it was unfortunate. It was kind of like the down. Um, that was the beginning of his, you know, battle with cancer there. So I was able to to work with with Coach Gwynn on the other side as a coach with him before, um, you know, he he had to battle his health. But that was an unreal year there too with him and Mar working with Mark Martinez and Eric Valenzuela as well, and um, and then transitioning on, on up to Stanford with Coach Marquis and getting into that arena. Um, was something you know that you you've never experienced before, and working for for that guy who's as routine as they come. I mean, it's seven thirty in the morning. He's in the parking lot. He's got his newspaper. He's got his cup of coffee. He reads the paper. Then he walks in uh, to the office, and that's it. Seven days a week um, for the whole year, you know. And, and sit down, and we meet. And we. I remember. I'll never forget our first meeting. Um, it was the first day I got there in, in the summer, right before we started fall practice. And it was, uh, okay, big boy, you're here. I hired you. Let's talk about hitting. I want to hear about Tony Glenn. I want to hear about your philosophy. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You've coached for 35 years. You're asking me on my hitting philosophy? What do you mean? Like, what's <laughs> And he, he's like, no, I want to hear what you have to say. And, and it was a four-hour meeting on hitting from you know, dotting every I, crossing every T, and and that's what we did. You know, it went on that way about you know leads at first, leads at second, um, 
and it was every single year before we started. He didn't no no stern was, no stone was unturned with Coach Marquis or Coach Stotts, um, you know, and uh, in everything, whether it was recruiting, whether it was um, you know teaching a guy how to bunt, uh, you know, it he really learned how to be prepared going into practice and organized going into um, practice or. Uh, individual practice or recruiting or camps or what have you it was uh, something that you know i don't think happens nowadays <laughs> yeah. yeah so after six years on the farm uh brock you 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 make the jump to to pro Bowl, right i mean you, you take a job as a scout with the cardinals and uh, i mean i remember seeing you out during those couple of years and and just what was that transition like and and I got to imagine as, as somebody who you know grew up with a dad as a coach and had been coaching for, you know, now going on on about eight years there, uh, seven or eight years, uh, you had to have the itch, right? Oh, yeah, it was it was awesome because, you know, working for Flo, Randy Flores um, was unreal. He's, you talk about class act and stand up human being um, to be able to work for the Cardinals, uh, which is another class act or organization, uh, very professional. Um, it was really neat to learn on the evaluation side, things that you don't learn as a recruiting coordinator or a recruiting coach. You don't learn that. I mean, you, you're dealing with some of these scouts Like we had some scouts in the Cardinals organization for 35 plus years who all they did was analyze pitchers, analyze hitters, analyze shortstops and, and, get you to think outside the box and dream a little bit more than maybe you would necessarily dream as a, as a college recruiter um, to pick up little, you know, bits and pieces on, um, you know, certain things. So that was awesome. And the speed of being a college recruiter, college coach going down to a scout is a lot. I mean, you're downshifting, right? So yes, to your, to your point, you, you look at it like, okay, this is a little bit slower because I'm only focusing on one thing, evaluating talent. I'm not trying to win games and coach players and, you know, get them to uh, prepare for, for a, a three-game series. You know, you're, you're out just uh, evaluating. So uh, that part of it was, was awesome. I loved working for the Cardinals, loved working for Randy, and learned a lot too. But, you know, your coaching's always in your blood, and, yeah, you, you miss it. You know, you, you, you do miss it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And Rand, you're right. Randy is one of the best people I've ever come across in this game, for sure. And so in 2019, you head over, you you really come home, so to speak. And, and <laughs> you know, you, you 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 get hired on there by Coach Hill at USD. And and you know, now you're, you're rooted again back home in San Diego. And, uh, you know, what, what, what was the experience like for you to kind of transition back into coaching? Was it an easy one? Did you find it to be somewhat seamless? Uh, because like you said, the speed of it is accelerated. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, and it jumps back up again, um, you know, ramps back up. And luckily when I, you know, Coach Hill hired me in the summer, um, Coach Flora and myself, you know, kind of threw us uh, the keys and said, go, just go do it, go recruit Brock. And um, it was fun because it was kind of like a two-year hiatus of, you know, sitting on the other side of the fence, um, so to speak, if you will, um, being a scout, now jumping back into it. You kind of, you got to go over all the stuff you learned for all those years at Stanford and being around, you know, um, you know, the game, the recruiting and all that and jump back in. Um, so it felt like it was, uh, like a refresh button almost. And that's what coach floor tells me. All he's like, God, Brock, you know, being out of the you know, college game for two years, I feel like that's really helped you because, you know, you, you kind of see things from a different lens now. So I think it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely, you know, speeding up now with family, having two kids, a little bit different dynamic too. Um, but coming home was huge too, because that, that's huge on the family, having my family here to help with them. And um, you know, I, I didn't think the the transition wasn't. You know, we're always learning the less, right? We're always learning about people. We're learning about players. We're learning about um, coaching. You know, so you know, definitely always learning. But uh, I didn't, the transition was was actually enjoyable. I loved it. It wasn't like I was sped up on it. You know. Yeah, you, you touched it on it there a little bit. You kind of were given the keys, you know, 
told go go recruit and you know mm-hmm. if you can i mean what is what is the recruiting philosophy if you will for usd you know and you know what what, what sorts of things uh you know are you are, are you willing to kind of budge a little bit on and and what things you know are you guys standing firm on when it comes to recruiting I think it's got to be the right fit, 100%. And, and you know, people could say that all the time, right, and say, oh, it's got to be the right fit. It's easy to say, but they throw that word around. But what is that right fit? And I'll never forget this one. When uh, Coach Flora and myself, the first day we met, it was like we both just said the same thing. It was weird. It was like core values. And we, Coach Flora and myself, came up with core values on players that we're looking for. And if they don't check those, those you know, three or four things that we have, that box – then we're going to go in a different direction and you have to be willing to And coach Stott said this and, and Rusty said it too all the time working for Rusty is if they don't, you know, fit your mold, you got to be willing to say no, you've got to be willing, no matter how good they are um, because it's going to be more problems for you down the road. When you, when you have, them. if that kid does not want to be there and you have to over convince them, if it's not the right fit, so to speak, then it's not going to be the right fit when they show up on campus. And it's not an exact science. I mean, we, we all know how that works. You know, it's, um, uh, you know, not everyone works out at, at, at every school. And, and sometimes it takes them getting on campus to see if it really is the right fit. But, you know, that's what we really try to uh, focus on. And, and uh, we, we hold each other accountable to that, you know. And if, if Flo really likes a guy and, and, you know, you kind of get that emotional attachment to him. And I got to be willing to tell him, hey, it, it might not be the right fit if the kid's not committing and we got to go elsewhere. And he's really good about telling me that because I'm more of the emotional one. You know, I'm ready to go. And, and <laughs> sometimes he'll have to slow me down, you know, and say, hey, this might not be the right fit. So having a guy that when you're out there in, in that um, recruiting world with who, who's, you know, on the same page, I think that's key too, you know, and Coach Hill's awesome with that too and he you know takes all our information when we're out there digging it up and we give it to him and um he's good really good at facilitating that you know so yeah, I, think, I think you know having been around you and flow now for a while and you and just being around you two together uh you know you can really see how you guys play off each other right i mean yeah you know, like you said you're kind of that more of the emotional guy and flow is is really kind of the, the the reserved, kind of a little on the quieter side, but really, really bright, intelligent baseball mind, isn't he? Oh my God, I couldn't pick a better guy to work with. I'll tell you, he's uh, uh, he can sit there and, and hold a conversation with anyone, and and you'll feel like you've known him for for twenty plus years. And like you said, super super bright, um, and he can really see things through. And 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 talk about a clear lens, man. That guy that guy has it, you know, and. Um, yeah, we're connected at the hip. And, and again, Coach Marcos told me that a long time ago. Uh, I think the first year I worked for him, he's like, hey, the biggest thing is the continuity and the staff, you know. And, and uh, he really, you know, uh, did that at, at Stanford, really tried to create that environment. And he says, if you're out there recruiting, you got to be able to find a way to make it work together because you're going to like players and the other guy's not going to like players. And you got to be able to talk it out and not have it a, a fight or a battle, you know. And it's not about you. It's not, a, it's, you know, it's not about me individually. Right. And that, that's a really important note there that it isn't about you. But, you know, you talked about kind of some of the things that, you know, your core values when it comes to recruiting. What are what are some of the, you know, more important characteristics you look for in potential recruits when it comes to, you know, potentially, you know, making an offer on a player or, you know, even having a player on campus? What, what are some of those characteristics that, you know, you and Flo and Coach Hill look for in future Toreros? Yeah, I mean, well, some of it less is the concrete ones. The, the academic piece is huge, right? You know, so um, obviously not, not, not like Stanford, but we try to get really, really good uh, academic uh, students out of, out, of, uh, out of the high school ranks, you know, the scholar-athletes, if you will. Um, that's got to be the first and foremost because they're not going to survive at USD. It's a it's a challenging school and rightfully so. That's why it's one of the best academic schools on the West Coast and and uh, you know the combination of academics and athletics at USD is unparalleled. You know it's 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 right up there. So you got to you got to look for that um, and um, you know coming from a good school, a good program, a high school program is a big part of it too. The high school coach. 
um, you know, how they're coached, where, you know, are, are they coming from a, a winning program? Are they coming from a program that does things the right way? Um, and, and how they deal with failure, uh, which I love. I want to see that, you know, um, to, to give you uh, some insight on it. We want to see, you know, how are they going to act when they're 0 for 4, a couple punch outs? How are they going to act when they're walking guys or giving, uh, getting hit? Um, are they still competing? Are they having a good attitude? Are they playing hard? Uh, are they about the team? Are they the first one off the bench? Um, you know, when that when their when their teammate hits a double, are they sitting down, not paying attention? You know, and those those are things sometimes that go that they get lost in the shuffle because of the talent. I mean, hey, you got to have talent to play the game, but you also got to have heart. You got to have will. You got to you got to be a team guy. You got to want to win. Um, that goes that that. that almost outweighs you know more more than the talent part of it and uh, i want to see that guy who's doing those things you know yeah i'm really glad you brought that up because it's really easy to sit there and get excited about a player when he goes you know three for three with a couple doubles and some rbis right but it's it's how does he respond when he's you know over three you know wearing the sombrero right And, and he punches out three times and you know what's his response like and and i'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because i think that's an that's almost an undervalued characteristic from, you know, the outside looking in when you're, when you're looking at a bunch of players and you're out evaluating players, it's, it's almost as if, uh, you know, okay, well, he, he, we still know he's really good. So it's not really important what he does after he goes over three or he gets hit all, you know, all around the yard. Right. Yeah. And in this program too, Les, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll spit you out quick, man. And, and, and that's because of the, you know, the, the leadership that Coach Hill's created with our younger guys and now they're getting older and guys like we had last year, like Jeff Hopi, um, even a Ripken Reyes that was brought in, Chris McCready, some of these guys that didn't even play, but their culture there was like, hey, if you're not going to play hard, you know, basically you're going to be on an island by yourself. You know, this is this is what Coach Hill's done for 22 years. He's created this and, and um, you know, the past players, they're not going to put up with that. And that's when you know you have something special, when those players start getting on the other players for not doing things right. Because that's that's going to happen, right? You, you're going to get the kid coming in as a freshman. He's going to struggle because it's a new adjustment to a, a, a higher level of baseball. So he's going to he's gonna feel sorry for himself. And as, as long as he can make an adjustment on that, and you know you have the older guys that can help police that then you then you you got something to work with there but if you if you see it out on the recruiting and you see the kid already pouting at 16 15 years old and nobody's doing anything about it and he's not changing his ways then odds are that's probably going to happen more times than not when he gets to campus and that's that's worrisome as a coach yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes back to that high school coach or, or even, you know, the, the travel ball coaches, right? I mean, you, you spend a lot of time, obviously, during the summer, you know, following tournaments and things of the like. And and so how much how, how important is the relationship with the high school coach and how important is the relationship with the club coach when it comes to recruiting, uh, you know, players? And, and then as a piggyback to that question, what do you do when you get conflicting reports? Say, you know, the, the high school coach really loves this guy or, or, you know, or blows him up. And then the club coach is on the other end of the spectrum. How do you, how do you manage and balance that? That's a great question, Les, you know, and I think that's where um, the problem solving comes into play. You know, I think you got to dive in and, and get more information than, than uh, you know, just those two, you know, can you, can you talk to parents uh, of other kids on the team can you uh talk to you know uh, some other travel ball coaches other coaches in the league that have seen the kid play if you're getting conflicted um you know answers or responses on, on that kid i think the high school coaches you know that's that's gone away you know i guarantee you there's not uh these high some of these high school coaches don't hear from um from coaches uh, from time to time and, and that's another staple uh that we we use you know we we talk to the high school coach if not more than sometimes a travel ball coach, because they're with the kid every day. You know, they, they are there uh, at school on campus as a teacher. 
And, um, you know, they're, they're around the kid more than just the three months in the summer. So I think, you know, that, that really holds some weight with the high school coach and really getting their opinion. And they appreciate that. I mean, shoot, they, they love it to hear from college coaches, you know? And so we, we really try to always talk to the high school coach to get that, uh, perspective, but you're right, man. That's, it's tough. That's when you, I think you got to go on your gut, you know, if you get a mixed review and, um, you try to dig up as much information as you can and, and try to pull the trigger, um, accordingly, you know, to your gut. Yeah, and, you know, kind of a follow-up to that, you know, I've seen you out at, at games and, you know, I like to get to games, you know, at least an hour beforehand and, you know, I'm sure you do too and I've, I've seen you there and, you know, how, how much how much do you put, how much weight do you put into, you know, the pre-game preparation, if you will, with guys like, you know, hey, are they warming up with intent? Are they, are they hustling, right? Or, or are they, are they alive and, you know, are they lifting up their other players or, you know, their teammates or, you know, are they sitting, you know, kind of off to themselves? How much stock do you put into that when it comes to just the overall evaluation, right? Because when it comes down to it, you're, you're evaluating a number of different things, right? Obviously the, the skill set and the game of baseball, but you're, you, you know, in your case, you're evaluating academics, but you're also evaluating personality, right? It goes back to that whole piece that you mentioned about, is this kid the right fit? Right. And, and that's less, you're hundred percent correct. And again, we, we're all in this game. We can identify who's a good player. Who's got above average tools. Who's got average tools. Who's got below average tools, so on and so forth. But, you know, back to being the right fit, it's about the people. Um, and that's what coach floor and myself, we talk about constantly coach Hill too. It's, it's about the people in the process. And if you don't have the right personalities and if you can't, uh, you know, get yourself ready to play, like you said, hustling around, moving around, um, talking to other players, being involved, engaged, those are the things you can control, right? Control the controllables. You can't control what's going to happen in the game, but you can control about being a good teammate, hustling, um, talking, uh, having happy feet. I love that term, um, you know, especially if you're an infielder, happy feet bouncing around up and around all the time and um you know so so those are uh yeah i mean that's those are huge in our program because again i I don't know i don't know if you can coach that out of them um you can try it's going to take a lot of time a lot of effort uh some kids do change but you know they are who they are too you know and and that comes from mom and dad it comes from the family it comes from the coaches how are they coached who's an influence in their life that's Telling them to play the game the right way. That goes to the coach's sons. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like if, if you're a coach's son, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on you pretty tough recruiting you because you probably know how to do things the right way, the little things. You know how to prepare for practice, you know how to prepare for a game, you're gonna be organized, you're gonna know how to handle adversity, you're gonna have a dad who's, you know, always coaching you at home, at the dinner table, uh, schoolwork at school you know so on and so forth so that that's a a big part of it sorry about that brock had some technical difficulties there um so let's pick it back up where we were we were talking about you know the pre-game and you know watching guys warm up and and you know how much weight and stock you put into that you know when it comes back to you know is this kid the right fit and and how does that work within your program yeah, definitely, Les. I mean, absolutely. You know, get like you said, get into the field early. Uh, you get to you get to watch how they go about their business, warming up. Um, you know, from everything from carrying their bag, you know, putting where they put their bag, how they get prepared. Are they the first one out there to stretch um, and, and running around? I mean, uh, you get to see their energy and the way they get after it. And I think that's something that's that's tough to do to coach that out of them um, when they get to your program if they're not already doing it. You can do it. Um, it's going to take longer. It's a longer learning curve, um, and they might be shell shocked when you're on them constantly about that. Because in the college game, hey, all all coaches they want a high energy, a high up tempo uh, kind of deal, and and definitely that's how we are at USD, you know. And and Coach Hill has always had that, and. Um, and we, we definitely push for that. So if you, you definitely want to see guys that are, you know, are they thinking outside the box? Are they, are they getting prepared for the game outside the box? Um, maybe doing, you know, some extra running and, um, doing some extra things, hitting a little bit more extra wiffle balls or working on their swing or watching the guy warming up in the bullpen, getting ready for the game. 
you know, getting really mentally prepared. Um, and, and we definitely pay a lot of uh, attention to that more so than, you know, than, uh, um, the talent itself. I mean, the talent is, is, you know, we, we can find the talent, right? We're all in this game, whether you're a scout or you're a recruiter that, uh, you can notice who's got tools above average tools, below average tools, but you want to see the guys that are doing the extra, going the extra mile, um, because, you know, they're going to fit in right away into your program. Well, yeah, and that kind of goes to, you know, the leadership piece, right? I mean, we've both been on teams, uh, I'm sure, where, you know, the the best player is naturally kind of given that title of leader, right? Most people will will follow the lead of what it, of who is generally the best player, but you know, I've been on teams and and I'm sure you have too where, you know, maybe the best player it, maybe the leader of that team isn't the best player, and, and and so how do you how do you kind of develop those guys that you know that aren't you know quote unquote the best players on the team to take a leadership role? Yeah, great question, Les, and I think that's that's the, the million dollar question, you know. And I think Coach Hill's done a, a excellent job being around him for a couple of years now, watching him and learning from him how he kind of cultivates that group and. Um, you know, again, it, it ties into the recruiting part because watching those little extra uh, things before the game, you know, and, and seeing, you know, who's prepared and whatnot. And those are the kind of guys you want to get into your program. And, and Coach Hill talks about being great or being good. Um, you know, the guys that want to be great are the ones that think outside the box, that go the extra mile. And, and, and that correlates with your best players, you know, and I think it's getting to know them. And we sit down once a week, you know, myself, Coach Floor, Coach Hill, we'll, we'll individually meet with our players. We'll take the countable time to do that and really get to know them. And maybe your best player likes being the best player and it's too much pressure for him to be a leader. That's fine. You want to put your player in the best position to succeed. And each guy has a role on the team. And I think the worst thing you can do is really force feed someone into being a leader when they're really not you know and so coach hill does a good job of you know having that organically happen he sets a standard and an expectation from the start from day one of what he expects out of each and every guy and you know by creating a program and a culture from year after year 22 years it's trickled down to each class where some of those younger guys they can't wait to when they become juniors and seniors and they're hungry to become leaders, you know, in the program and, and hold people accountable and police each other. And that's when you know you got something special, right? When, you know, you could sit back as a coach and watch it kind of unfold and go, wow, pretty proud of these guys. They're, you know, they're 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 driving the bus, you know, they're 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 riding the train, you know. So um, I think that's that's the most enjoyable thing as a coach to see that and the pride that you have for your players. Yeah, and that's a really great point you brought up. You know, there was a high school coach up here in Orange County that recently had a you know a run of, of draft picks, and you know, and, and he had a couple of guys that were taken pretty early in the draft. You know, in, in one particular year, and he's like, "Les, man, I just sit back, and those guys those guys do my job, right?" He's like, "All I've got to do is is kind of manage the games because I know that during practice and during workouts and during you know study hall, those guys are doing." the job of the head coach and it's like you said you know when you get to that point it's when you know that your team is in a good spot right oh man and and that but and, and you know when coaches say that um that what they fail to mention is the the communication part of it and that coach has done a good job communicating to his players what he expects and then he follows through by his word too so the trust component is huge right with the leadership so what you tell your players you got to follow through and do. And he sets the standard and the expectation so they're not caught off guard and surprised by, well, wait a minute, you said this and did that. You know, then you lose the trust and then, then it's unstable. And then you, you, you're going to have a hard time finding leaders. So good coaches do that. They put them, their players in positions to succeed and allow them to be who they are as people and as players but also setting boundaries there too so that there is some accountability from the top to the players to police the whole team, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we talked about recruiting a little bit here and I, I'm really interested to get your opinion on it, right? Because recruiting is getting younger and younger and, and we touched on that. And, you know, just the other day we, 
you know, we see, you know, another eighth grader committed to to a college. And and I don't know about you, Brock, but when I was in eighth grade, man, the last thing I was thinking about was college. Right. And, <laughs> and so, um, you know, you had that experience with, with Coach Quinn. So you, you may have been thinking that way. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, what what flavor pie am I going to have after dinner? Right. I mean, right. Th- those sorts of things. What What's your take on the world of recruiting as it stands today. And, you know, I know the NCAA tried to, you know, pass legislation to kind of dissuade this from happening. And, and, you know, in my opinion, it seems to have worked in reverse. I mean, we're seeing more, you know, eighth and ninth grade kids, kids in some cases that haven't played a game of varsity baseball in their life that are, are committed to a division one program and, you know, generally a, a high level division one program. What, What's your take on the state of recruiting? And is there anything that maybe you would like to see change from to dissuade, you know, 13 year old kids from making a commitment that they're not going to be able to see fulfilled for five years? Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right, Les. And we're all guilty of it. Um, I'm guilty of it. We're guilty of it. Um, And, you know, it's because of the competitive nature, you know, and talking to a lot of prominent head coaches along the West Coast and across the country, and they're going to continue to do it um, because of, you know, you feel like you're losing out on some of the best talent um, around the area. And, and, hey, we all want to win. So, um, you know, if if you can get that right fit at an early age and, you know, USD or whatever, Timbuktu University is the right fit for that kid, you know, then you jump in into it. But I think, you know, to, to correct this problem, which we all would feel um, would help, would be to make it concrete. You know, hey, a commitment's a commitment, you know, and uh, a handshake's a handshake is, is going back in the day to when you were taught by your old man that, hey, you make a commitment, you, your word is as good as gold, you know, mm-hmm. um, or as good as a signed document. So I think that would change everything. It would go back to, you know, probably a, l- a little bit how it used to be back um, when we were getting recruited, you know, and, and um, to your, your junior summer going into your senior year because then you'd have more time to really evaluate the talent. But uh, that would keep everybody in check um, to, you know, to really make everything concrete. You know, hey, if you want to commit someone as an eighth grader or a freshman, that's fine, but make it concrete, you know, and I think that would change, you know, the landscape of things. Yeah, and, you know, when you do get a commitment from, you know, a freshman or whatever – I mean, a lot of people think, oh, great, sweet, that guy's on board, we're good to go. But you're still recruiting that guy, yeah. aren't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, we, we're all, it happens to everybody, you know, the kids will change their mind and, uh, you know, go elsewhere. And um, and, and it happens, you got to, it's, it's, it's about the relationships less. And, and that's the thing, you know, you, you can't just stop recruiting uh, the kids that you commit. And you got to keep building the relationship with them and the family too, as well. And and uh, make sure they're coming to campus all the time when they can and coming to games and uh, watch practice and, um, you know, really, really try to stay in touch, which is hard to do because you can't call a freshman or a sophomore, you know. So, um, you know, that, that's really hard to do to uh, to keep that relationship going. So you have to have them call you, you know. And um, But, again, that's that's what we base it off of. It's, it's that relationship between the player and the coach and the – and even the, the recruit, you know, the recruit and the coach, too, and, and all coaches, you know, on staff, you know, not just one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and so let, let's shift to the spring. Uh, you know, obviously the spring season getting canceled, you know, given this current pandemic, uh, you know, you guys were got about a about a month of the season in or, or give or take, you know, six weeks of the season in prior to the cancellation. And, you know, for you personally, uh, you know, uh, us take baseball out of it but if you for you personally and then you know as a coach what, what's been the most challenging thing to deal with for you during this personally i i think it i look at it as a as a positive i get to have this time with the family that that uh you, you never you'll never get back right and once we make it through uh this 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 uh, devastating time that we're going through so um, you know, tr- really try to flip things around into a positive outlook and um, being, the, you know, the, the magnitude uh, of a minute, you know, and being in the moment, um, you know, really, you know, trying to soak up that time that you have with, with the little ones and, and the family 
Um, but yeah, it's, you can't take them out. You know, that's the hard part. You can't take them to the beach. You can't take them to the park. Um, and they're itching to get out and go. So that, that's been challenging. Um, and then on, on, on the field, the baseball side of it, it's tough when you're used to seeing your guys every day. Um, and back to the relationships, cause you love, I love, I love our players, you know, and, and you have that tight relationship with them and the competing and traveling with them and really trying to help them for their career. And, uh, you're, you're used to seeing them on a day to day basis and all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're, you're back into almost that summer circuit of not seeing them, you know, and we, we do a good job four times a week, three, four times a week. We meet uh, via Zoom or FaceTime um, and have our, our meetings um, just to see them, you know, as compared to being on the phone. And that goes a long way, you know, just to, to, to be able to have that um, component to it. And uh, our guys have been great about it. Yeah, and, and that seems to be kind of the standard thing, right, is, is, you know, let's hop on a Zoom call and we can all at least see each other's face and, you know, catch up a little bit. And, you know, the the impact of this is, is going to be significant, right? I mean, well, obviously the NCAA said, you know, seniors can come back and, you know, and all, and all of that. And how long do you think, in your opinion, how long do you think this is going to impact the college game from you know, just a sheer numbers and rostering standpoint. Yeah, it's going to roll over for a few years, definitely less. And, and especially with the draft being a big component of it, right? And that's what we forget to realize is they, they kind of hold the keys to this whole thing. Because if you have guys that are, you know, your juniors, again, like we were talking about earlier, you, you they, they have that ex- expectation of signing as a junior. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, now we're cut to maybe five rounds or ten rounds, probably going to be five. And, you know, that's that's a small pool. And um, so that's going to definitely affect, you know, the next few years um, where, you know, these guys are coming back. Because I mean, college baseball is going to be unbelievable next year um, to see some of the talent out there, which is going to be fun. But uh, at the same time, building a roster and dealing with the scholarships is is challenging. But you find a way through it. You know, it's a, it's a great challenge to embrace. Um, and it, it's, uh, you know, to come up with new strategies, to get creative, um, you know, and, and really try to um, help out the families as much as you can because they're going through a tough time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can only imagine, you know, what what a potential draft prospect you know, what's kind of going through his mind right now, right? I mean, the uncertainty of it, of it all, you just lost your opportunity to really prove to scouts, you know, where, where you kind of fit in. And, uh, you know, the uncertainty of it all has got to be somewhat devastating for, for, for potential draft guys. And, and you guys have a handful of those guys. And so how are you and Coach Hill and, and Flo, like, how are you guys managing that, if you will, or, or what sort of advice are you giving guys? Well, you know, I think it's the best way is to be in their corner, right? You know, and, 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 you know, we don't, you don't have all the information at hand, whether it's five rounds or 10 rounds or however many rounds it's going to be and how much money is going to be involved. And, and I don't think they're going to know until the baseball season, if it does start, um, you know, resumes and, and, you know, you just try to ask questions and paint a picture to them of, Hey, you know, what, what do you really want out of this? Do you want to, to play pro ball for a long time? Do you want it to just to do it now? Um, you know, and, and make an emotional decision and go and, uh, try to hear where they're coming from, you know? And, and, and again, it goes back to staying in touch with them constantly. Um, and, you know, keep the relationship going and, um, you know, and, and just hope for the best, uh, for their, for their career. If you, you know, you want what's best for them, um, you know, then, then I think things will work out, you know, the way they should, you know, and that's what it goes back to. It goes back to the player working, working for them, uh, to put them in the best position for them to succeed for their future. Do you think that the cancellation of the season, um, or, you know, even what's going to happen here with the, with the rostering and, and the sheer number standpoint, do you think it's going to lead to changes in the college game? Um, I, th- I think it, I think you're going to see it. It's going to be a little bit, you know. I mean, shoot, you're cutting 35 rounds out of the draft, so it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch next year. I think for the spectators out there, and for you know, there's going to be a ton of competition, and um, I think that part's going to be exciting, you know. And, and I think that's going to change uh, significantly. You're going to get high school kids showing up to 
colleges that maybe normally wouldn't show up to school. You know, so that's going to be another component of it. I think junior college baseball is going to grow and get better too. You know, and and benefit from this. And then it'll be interesting to see what happens with professional baseball in the future years to come. If they're going to, you know, they're going to probably trim back some minor league rosters, some minor league teams, and the draft's going to get, you know, trimmed down even even more so than uh, than this year. You know, um, for the future years ahead. So. I think with that being said, I think college baseball has got a bright future ahead. I think these next couple of years are going to be tough juggling out the roster size and, and the scholarship size for some schools. Yeah. Do you think that it would lead potentially to an increase in, in scholarships provided yeah. by, by baseball no. teams? <laughs> that would be nice. I, I hope <laughs> so. I mean, it's always, it's always been on the table for years, right? And they've always talked about it. And um you know that that would that would be ideal that would be awesome you know we could all benefit from that especially being at a private school where the cost is a little bit more um a lot more um than than uh than a state school obviously so that would be huge uh for us and for everyone involved um but who knows i mean shoot you know the third you know the volunteer coach we're hoping to get past to and you know that didn't happen and um hopefully this pandemic lights a fire for you know and a lot of things moving forward in the college game college baseball college sports in the world to to make change where where it needs to be you know yeah and i'm glad you brought up that third assistant because i was going to follow up with that but what do you think the holdup is there i mean it seems like such a natural fit you know to have a third paid assistant because given the, just the sheer numbers of players on a baseball team, right? You know, you look at a basketball team, for example, there's three, four, five coaches in some cases, and there's, you know, 15 players. And, and you know, in baseball, obviously, you know, you have the two as paid assistants, you, you know, have volunteers and ops guys and things of that nature. But what do you think the holdup is on that paid third assistant? Well, it's all boils down to money, probably. You know, it's a business side of it, and you got you got some schools that totally could afford it, and some schools that can't. And you know, I think that's uh, that's a big part of it, anything that we do. You know, and and we could guess and speculate all the time and figure out what other reasons you know to come up with it. But um, you know, that that's what it boils down to, I believe, is is you know the financial component of it, and then you got other sports that'll. Um, not just in baseball that I want to add coaches to as well. And, and, uh, that's probably the, the main reason, um, I think it's getting closer, right. You know, and I think we're close to doing it. Um, but, um, you're right. I mean, the, the player to coach ratio needs to, to get better in our game. No doubt about it. And uh, when you have 35 guys and you only have four coaches, it's, uh, it makes it challenging. No, oh, no question, right? I mean, just like I said, use that that basketball example. You know, I mean, football's got what 25, 30 coaches on the field at any given time, and it just it, it would make sense and it would improve the quality of the game, would it not? Oh man, no doubt. You know, and 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 the recruiting part it would be huge too to have another guy out there on the road, um, and it, you know, it, it would allow you to, um, you know coach a smaller group of guys get the most out of those guys as compared to you know maybe your your staggering practice like for me i practice in the morning run to a game in the afternoon or you know you're able to kind of pick up the pieces where you know other guys can you know you're spread so thin you know and it, it, again on the recruiting side it would be huge to have another guy out there to be able to split it up you know um and then on the field um, that would that would be awesome as well, you know, just to be able to divvy up the roles on the coaching staff and to get mo- the most out of your guys. Yeah, no, no question. I think the re- the recruiting element of it and the development element of it would be significantly improved. You know, and your quality of life, man. I mean, let, let's face it, you're going to games, you know, three, four days a week and on top of coaching and doing all that. I mean, if you can split that up, maybe you cut that back to one to two days a week. And, you know, now all of a sudden your your wife remembers what you look like and your kids remember what you look like and, and you're having a good time, right? Uh, right. So uh, I, I just think that it, it, it's a no-brainer on so many levels that it, it, it just blows my mind that they don't pass it. But... Brock, I, w- I wanted to give you a scenario here. So I- I'm a senior, like my, my eligibility is expired. You know, I-, I come to you and say, hey, coach, you know, I- I- I'm thinking about getting into coaching. I, w- I want to be a college coach. And, 
you know, you look back on 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 your experiences and some of the legendary coaches that, that you've had an opportunity to either play for and or coach for. You know, what sort of advice are you giving to a guy that's interested in getting into coaching? Well, I think the first thing, the first question I would ask is what is a, you know, what are your relationships like with your former coaches? And that that's what I would like to see what that individual would say, because I think that says a lot, you know. Um, and I, I'm speaking, you know, again, I my dad was a coach, so I grew up, you know, under that roof um, of having him. Uh, all the time, you know, kind of coaching me through life, um, as well as baseball and, and what have you. And I know looking back, the coaches that I had, I had a relationship with them where I would still call them and check in and uh, talk to them all the time and or go to their office. I'll, you know, because it would, it, you know, for instance, Coach View or Coach Gwynn, hey, if, you know, you want extra video work and come on by, you know, come check you know, come talk to me. And I'm like, well, this is freaking Tony Gwynn, man. This is my coach. I want to talk to him, you know? So I look at it that way to where if you're a player and you value your relationship with your coach, then you know what? You're set up to do this. You want to do it because you want to be in that office. You want to be around it. You want to talk to your coaches as a player and get to know them and get to know their strategy, get to know what they're planning, get to know what they're thinking. Cause you love it. You love it so much and you want to be a part of it, you know. So I think that would be my first question. I'd flip it and ask the question, like, hey, what does a coach mean to you? And what are your relationships like with your with your coaches or your former? What coaches inspired you, you know? And um, and I think that again, you know, kind of a reverse effect has a big impact on you if you really want to get into coaching. Yeah, no question about that. I like I like that. And and Brock, let's shift gears, you know, to something that's very near and dear to to you. Um, and to me, so let, let's talk about some some barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> because this is something that I know we were hoping to talk about. And, it, you yeah. know, you you told me when we came down for the MLK camp, you said, Les, I'm going to make some tri-tip and chicken. And, and I got to be honest with you, man, I'm still thinking about that tri-tip and chicken. So, you know, w- what is it about barbecue that fires you up? And, you know, how'd you get into it? Oh, man. Well, thanks. Thanks, Les. I appreciate that, man, because you are a pro. So if you're giving me a compliment, that's huge. I'll take that, man. No, I, you know, I, I love it. My, uh, my dad used to barbecue. Um, but when I got up to Stanford, you know, Rusty, uh, Rusty kind of got me into a filter and he, you know, he just, he used to have me over to the house and he used to barbecue and, um, you know, and kind of got me going on it. And then, you know, uh, my father-in-law, big barbecue guy too. And then, uh, growing up, uh, my best friend, uh, Jared Sue and his, his dad was, had about eight barbecues in his backyard and he had smokers and this, and then I used to sit back there in the backyard We go there all the time and he'd barbecue and unbelievable food. And I'm like, I just loved it. Right. It was just like your escape. You're it's relaxing. It's fun being in the backyard and, and the smell uh, of a smoker is, you know, as you know, is, by far the best just oh, to hang out good. back there if it's and, and when you crank it up at 10 o'clock in the morning too there's nothing better than that on a sunny day you know so yeah that's so, so quick story man i i sent you that text of that of that uh that brisket i made the other oh, day man yeah, I, I gotta be honest with you man i started the, i started the smoker at like eight o'clock in the morning and, and oh. I, we're out front with my boys and 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 a, a neighbor lady walked by with her husband and they're like man somebody lighted their fireplace and you know husband's like no nah, i think that's the barbecue she's like who the heck is barbecuing at eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> i just gotta raise my hand i'm like yep i'll be here till six lady <laughs> i know i'm sitting here and and it's the time of your life i mean it's like you get to hang out with the kids they love it they start taking an interest in it you know right and yeah. and i i got that video of you sending me that brisket and i put me to shame man so i gotta <laughs> i gotta get back on my competitive juices man. Sure. Yeah, well yeah you, you've got some time right now but hey brock before i let you go we got a little deal here that we do when we have coaches on. It's our, you know, our rapid fire. So I'm going to fire away about a dozen questions at you. Okay. Don't think too much into it. Just give me a, a response as quickly as you can. First thing that comes to your mind. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Small ball. Uh, grunge or, oh, sorry, grunge or hip hop? Oh, I was a hip hop guy. Okay. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. College football or the NFL? College football. Trackman or Rapsodo? Well, we have Rapsodo. We don't have Trackman, but I love Trackman. 
Okay. That's a political answer. Sorry. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? San Diego. Dude, right? Like you live in the best vacation <laughs> spot in the planet, dude. Like I, oh, dude, I'm, Lake Tom. <laughs> Lake Tom. Yeah, no, man, dude. I'm telling you, dude. San Diego is a, an okay answer for that one. It does. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac. Best singer on USD team. Oh boy, um, Adam Lopez. Best dancer on USD's team. Coach Hill. Oh, nice. <laughs> Favorite stadium you've ever been in. Oh, God. Uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, Go-to song to sing in the shower. Terrible singer. <laughs> Awful. Sorry. Uh, favorite sports team? Padres. That a boy. And then one only San Diego locals will understand. Lolitas or Rigobertos? Lolita's Attaboy. Sure. Attaboy. Rock, man. That was, that was awesome, dude. I, I can't thank you enough for, for making some time to come on the podcast, dude. I really, really appreciate, you know, you doing that for me and for us and, and for the listeners. Oh, Les, no, thank you. It's an honor, man. I really appreciate it. Once I got that text, man, you got me fired up. So pumped. Thank oh, you. Awesome, Brock. Appreciate it. Heck yeah. Thank you. I want to thank Coach Unger for joining me on the podcast today. Please be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news and information in the baseball world. Until next time, we'll see you at the yard.